Tonight I'll be preaching from the book of James, James chapter 5, James chapter 5, and I'll be reading from verse 16 down to verse number 18. James chapter 5 and verse 16, the Bible says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain. And the earth brought forth her fruit. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your tremendous sacrifice. And that you were broken and spilled out so that we could have life. The Lord, we are humbled by the fact that you would love us so much and demonstrate it in the ultimate sacrificial way. Lord, I pray that your love and sacrifice on our behalf would motivate us to love you and to sacrifice of what you've given to us for your service. Thank you so much for blessings we've received from you and the blessings that we're about to receive from your word. Use it in a mighty way to speak to our hearts and to challenge us to be closer drawn to you. Take full control of your divine way. Pray that you'd give me the words you'll have me to say. And if there's someone here tonight who does not know you as personal Lord and Savior, that tonight will be the night of their salvation. That every believer would be challenged and strengthened to be closer drawn to you. Have your divine way. Your will be accomplished in every heart and in every life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You will be seated. Using the wrong tool for any job leads to frustration, delays, and work that really is not done properly or done effectively. For example, if you attempt to use a flat screwdriver for a Phillips head screw or vice versa, you would not have the level of effectiveness that you would if you were to utilize the right tool for the job. If you're cooking in the kitchen and you attempt to use a frying pan to you to cook a big pot of rice, or you try to use a large, deep pot to fry some plant, and you're just not going to have the effective results that you probably would have if you were to use the right utensil for the right cooking. I see people laughing at me as if, Pastor, what are you talking about cooking for? You ain't nothing about cooking. I don't know a little bit. I can cook rice. I can cook spaghetti and ground beef. Haven't I? I can. So, I know up the times I make myself sound like an invalid in the kitchen, but it's not that bad. I promise you. Right? But the point is, if you use the wrong tool for the job, you will not be very effective. We've been looking at 
this matter of the church ministering and the church, the vehicle, the organism of the living God, God has raised up to be able to fulfill his will on planet earth, building his kingdom. And James speaks to this matter in James chapter 5 under the theme of stewardship. Stewardship. We are all stewards. In being stewards, it simply means that we own nothing, but we are managing what has been entrusted to us by Almighty God. And so James speaks to the aspect of the church of the living God, of which it is a spiritual body that we have been incorporated into by Almighty God himself. But it's important that we understand that if a church is going to effectively minister to people, we must access the power of God in order to see spiritual progress. We must recognize that our weapons of warfare are not physical. If we attempt to use physical weapons, so to speak, if we attempt to use our physical and human effort outside of the power of God, we will fail. If we endeavor to utilize our intellect, our talents, and our abilities, and divorcing ourselves from God's hand upon our lives, we will not effectively minister. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 3 to 6 speaks to this and it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. My friend, when it comes to doing the work of God, we must be living in alignment with what God says in order to have success. And so James speaks to this matter of a church the church of the living God, ministering, doing the the work, the will of God that he intended for us to do until he returns. And in speaking to this matter of the church ministering, James makes a number of important observations, beginning in verse number 13, by way of review, that every member that is a privilege to be a part of the church, must embrace his or her personal responsibility. Every single one of us, we have a role to play. We have a part for which God has incorporated into this spiritual body and we ought to do our part. Amen? It's personal responsibility. But he speaks also to the fact that the church ought to be a place of reliance. We heard this spoken of through the testimony time. A church ought to be a place where the people in the church can depend and rely on one another. 
No man is an island. So in verse number 14, we see here where he says, Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. A church that is thriving, a church that is growing, as individuals who are relying on each other. Church ought to be a place of reliance if it's going to effectively minister. But we notice as well in verse number 16 that a church that's going to effectively minister prioritizes relationships. Prioritizes relationships. James says in verse number 16, confess your faults one to another. James understood that relationships suffer because of this thing called offenses. And he says if a church does not pay attention to to the relationships by way of the things that could erode relationships, it's going to be a weak church. It's going to be a church that will not effectively minister to the needs of its people and to the needs of other people. So James continues this emphasis on a church effectively ministering. And notice tonight He continues on and gives another very important aspect of a church that's going to effectively minister. He says, a church that's going to do so will pray repeatedly. It prays repeatedly. Look at verse number 16, which we're still looking at. He says, confess your faults one to another and do what? Pray one for another that ye may be healed. I'm convinced that oftentimes we minimize and underestimate the power of prayer. Notice he says, when it comes to this matter of praying repeatedly, he first of all emphasizes to all of us, my friend, when it comes to accomplishing the work of God, jot this down, make no mistake about it, there is power in prayer. He says, pray one for another that ye may be healed. Notice he didn't even say what kind of healing. He says, listen, if you need healing of whatever sort, listen, engage in prayer. We know we often prioritize physical healing. We continue to see that is the longest category on any church's prayer list. But there are other types of healing that are needed. There's emotional healing, mental healing, spiritual healing. And prayer is powerful enough to bring it about. Amen. Our world needs healing, our nation needs healing. Healing. And if we can find that healing and have that healing through prayer, my friend, we would see a radical transformation in our world. (laughs) And mankind and even saints of God and 
born-again believers sadly often seek healing in all kinds of other ways, forgetting that there is power in prayer. You see, my friend, we must understand that prayer accesses divine intervention. There are circumstances in our lives that, my friend, we are incapable of bringing about the resolution and we need, beyond any shadow of a doubt, the hand of God to change that situation. We oftentimes think that if we throw enough money at a situation, it will fix it. If we try harder with every fiber and every effort and every muscle within our body, we get a chance to change it. Sometimes God is saying, why you don't ask me? I can do it just like that. James encourages the church of the living God to Pray repeatedly, helping us to understand that there is power in prayer. But notice, pertaining to this matter of praying, James points out as well that not only there is power in prayer, but notice, he says, as it relates to your prayer, there needs to be some passion in your prayer. He says, the effectual and what? Fervent prayer. Notice what he says, speaking of the prophet Elijah, referred to here as Elias. He says, Elias was a man in verse number 17, subject to like passions as we are, and he did what? Prayed how? Earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. James says when it comes to this matter of praying, faithless, mundane routines Lacking fervency will not accomplish the results we desire. Fervent is a word that means intensity of spirit, feeling, and enthusiasm. I mean, we know that at times when it comes to prayer, it's as if we figure we're punching the clock. Well, let me just get this out of the way. We pray when we have no energy. We've used it up throughout the day and we get down on our knees to pray and all we know is an hour went by and we don't remember what we said. I want to draw your attention to Matthew's Gospel chapter 17. And look at what Jesus said to his disciples as they encountered 
encountered a, a situation and they were wondering how come we couldn't get the results we desired. Matthew chapter 17 and verse number 14, the Bible says, And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic and so vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to the disciples and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, because of your what? Your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if he have faith as a grain of mustard seed, he shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place and it shall be removed and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Look at verse number 21. How be it? This kind goeth not out but by prayer and what? Fasting. Jesus said, the, these prayers that you pray, you've said it so many times. I mean, it's like, a, it's like a poem and you just memorize it and you said it and you don't even remember what you said. These routinistic prayers that are not seeking me with fervency are not going to get the job done. He says there has to be a desire for seeking God with passion. Fervency requires focus. Attention. Hence the reason for fasting. Fasting is about denying oneself of, of, of other situations and even comforts and, and, and distractions that would hinder me from seeking God with fervency and passion. Jesus is saying, when it comes to praying, that's the kind of prayer that gets results. He says we ought to pray repeatedly, recognizing that there's power in prayer, uh, but our prayer has to be a, a prayers of passion. There's passion of our prayer. But notice thirdly and finally, if our prayers are going to be effective, there must be attention made or given to the person of prayer. Back in James chapter 5 and verse number 16, once again, look at it, at what it says. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or person availeth much. If we just live our lives however we figure we want, abandoning what God says, disregarding what he says, do we realize that that's the same God we're supposed to be praying to? In verse number 17, James give a ref, gives a reference to Elias, of course, Elijah, and he says, listen, let me give you an example of a man of God who prayed with passion, but we understand from the life of Elijah that Elijah was a man who walked and talked with God, followed God closely, and God enjoyed Elijah's company so much and his relationship that God says, Elijah, I want you up here with me. He was translated. My friend, we nullify our prayers when we pray with sin in our lives. 
if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. In closing, look at Psalm 66. I want you to notice how the psalmist understood the importance of having a heart that was right with God in order to make any petitions of God. We don't have time to look at this entire psalm tonight. But if you were to read verses 1 down to verse number 12, the psalmist is emphasizing on all the glorious things that God had done. Notice the emphasis in these words unto God and the works of God, worshiping God, how God has blessed his people and all the mighty things that God had done. But when he gets to verse number 13, he turns the attention and the focus on himself. Look at verse number 13. He says, I will go into thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows. God, I've made some promises to you. I got to do my part, which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. Don't people make a host of promises to God when they're in trouble? And when God delivers them, they completely pretend that they forgot. I will offer unto thee burnt sacrifices of fatlings with the incense of rams. I will offer bullocks with goats. Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. Then he makes that statement in verse number 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The psalmist understood, I got to get my heart right before I approach God and make petitions and requests of him. And then because he knew he got his heart right. And not just his heart, he got his actions right. To line up what his heart had decided to do he says, but verily God hath what? Heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. James says the church that's going to effectively minister has to be a church that engages in Individually, collectively. We've examined tonight that there is power in prayer. Pray that he may be healed. We understand, recognize the passion of prayer. It must be fervent. It must be earnest. It must be focused. And then the person of prayer must be endeavoring to live a life that's pleasing to Almighty God. It's not an accident that when we are not right with God, when we endeavor to get down and pray, it literally feels like the prayer not even reaching the ceiling. Like a boomerang. Goes up, right back down. Heart not right. 
God says, I want to encourage you to pray to me. Prayer is powerful. Prayer must be prayer with passion. And the person of prayer ought to seek to be living a life that's pleasing in my sight. Let it be that this church is a church that prioritizes prayer, prays repeatedly and consistently because it is a source of our strength to see great things accomplished for the work of God and for our lives to see His will fulfilled individually and collectively so that we can be a church that ministers. <laughs>